day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. And such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down while the whole crowd stood on the shore. So quite an image there. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, Consider the sower who went out to sow. He sowed some seeds, some fell on the path, the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it didn't have much soil. And it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. Still other seed, uh, dad prayed, fell on good ground and produced fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 times more. So let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. All right, this is God's word. Donald, was that all right? Yeah. They're good? All right, cool. <laughs> So we're going to um, cover all of the parables today, which means I need like six extra minutes. Okay, can you give me didn't preach last week, so I need to make up for I'm just kidding. I I do need some extra time, though. Okay, so the parables, lots of people do lots of different things with the parables. But I think that in context, the parables, all of them are really doing one thing, one main thing, and that is convicting unrighteousness before judgment. Okay. Every single parable is doing this. And we know this because who are the parables spoken to? Who is Jesus' intended audience and intended hearer for the parable? Matthew 13, verse 10, we find out. Then the disciples came up and asked him after he told the parable, Why are you speaking to them? Them. Those outside, why are you speaking to them in parables? And Jesus answered, because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know, right? Those who are repentant and trusting and following Jesus, it's been given to you to know, but it has not been given to them. Those outside, those not repenting, those not trusting in Jesus. For whoever has, whoever's responded to me in repentance and humility and trust, i.e. the disciples, whoever has, more will be given to him. And he will have more than enough. But whoever does not have, the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, right? The brood of vipers from Matthew 3, the hypocrites from Matthew 5 through 7, the violent men and bratty children from Matthew 11, the wicked and adulterous generation from Matthew 12. Those who do not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. That is why I speak to them in parables. Because looking, they, they don't see. Hearing, they don't listen or understand, right? They're walking in pretense. They think they see clearly, but they don't. They think they hear clearly, but they don't. And they think if anyone is going to inherit eternal life, it's us, right? We're the people. No one else is going to inherit eternal life, but we will. Yet Jesus says they're the blind leading the blind. And when that happens, both fall into a pit. So Jesus keeps going. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them. That he speak in the parable too, which says, you will listen and listen, but never understand. You will look and look, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing. They've shut their eyes. Otherwise, they were actually seeing and actually hearing. They might see and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn back. Right? Because that's the mission of Jesus in his first coming is to turn Israel back to the Lord in repentance and humility and trust and righteousness. And if they would hear and understand, they would turn back. And what would Jesus do if they would turn back? I would heal them. Right? So this is who he's... So you see the purpose? 
Do you see why Jesus is speaking in parables to them, to those outside? All of the parables, every single one, are designed to draw a clear line of division between those who respond in righteousness, who respond in repentance and humility, and those who respond in wickedness in view of coming judgment, okay? Like, Jesus is just making things super clear to those who hear, and, and super unclear and offensive to those who do not. Okay? Does that make sense? Well, you, hopefully you'll see it the more we get through it. So what Jesus is not doing in the parables is redefining what the kingdom of God is, or the kingdom of heaven is, as Jews in the first century would have under, understood it. What Jesus is doing is clarifying who's actually going to inherit it. Eternal life means one thing to them. Jesus is coming and saying, this is who actually will inherit it. And at this point in the first century, hello, at this point in the first century, the people who think they're going to inherit it are precisely the ones who will not. Does that make sense? All right. So the parables will, will, will um, clarify that. So we'll just run through them quickly. Matthew 7, the wise and foolish builders, the Sermon on the Mount, the whole of Matthew 5 through 7 is an indictment on the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, right? And on that day, the house that's built on sand falls and the house that's built on the rock stands on the outside. Both houses look the same, but until the storm comes, you don't know. And, and right, that, that's what's going on there. So what's that parable doing? It's convicting unrighteousness before the judgment. The Matthew 18, the forgiving and the unforgiving servant. Jesus says, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts, right? Who wanted to perform judgment with his servant. So in this story, one guy forgives and is shown mercy and another guy doesn't forgive and he's locked in a dungeon forever. What's that parable doing? It's convicting unrighteousness before the judgment. It's drawing a clear line between who will actually inherit eternal life and who will not. Matthew 21, the the two sons. The father says, hey, go work in the vineyard. One son says no, but actually goes and works. One son says yes, and then changes his mind and doesn't work. Jesus says, which one inherits eternal life? Which one will the father reward? Which one will the father look upon with favor? The one who pays lip service to the father but doesn't actually do it? Or the one whose lips are wrong but actually does it? Same thing. It's convicting unrighteousness and hypocrisy before the judgment to come. Matthew 21, 22. The responsive and the unresponsive wedding guests. The wise and foolish versions. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. One group responds and enjoys the party. Right. It's it's awesome. Well-aged wine, fatty meats. It's it's a big deal. Another group, they're invited to the party and they say we have other matters to attend to in this age. And then later people come, but they don't change their clothes and they're thrown into outer darkness. All right. Hearing they don't hear, seeing they don't see. Yeah, we'll come to the wedding. We're all in about the wedding, but not really. Not in the inward parts. Same thing. Convicting unrighteousness before judgment. The sheep and the goats. Do I have to tell you like. <laughs> you people inherit eternal life. You people do not. It's a division between those who respond to the hungry and the thirsty and the naked and the poor like God does and like the Torah commands them to and those who don't. So they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Wow, Jesus, that's a mind blowing parable you're telling. Real big spiritual knowledge there. You know what I mean? 
they're, they're, they're clear. The parable of the talents. Two guys steward their talents well. And so when the master returns, they say, hey, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. One guy doesn't. What happens to him? Thrown into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, convicting unrighteousness before the judgment. Every parable is doing this. Every single one. Every single one is an indictment on the unbeliever. Every parable is aimed at them. Those who hearing are not hearing. Those who seeing are not seeing due to their hard hearts. Every single one. And this plays out and it is found even in the single player parables okay so all the parables that we just went through they have two opposites right you have sheep and goats righteous and unrighteous good steward bad steward on and on and on in the single player parables there's just one character okay and so the assumption is that they're still pointing to the character that's off screen okay so it's like two people are having a conversation and they're insulting the person over here i know you guys have no experience with that but That's what's going on in in these parables, okay? You can't see the other character. They're off the screen, but you know who they are. You know who Jesus is talking about. And those off screen know who Jesus is talking about, right? Because Jesus will start to tell the parable, and he's talking to the Pharisees, and then he'll turn to them and start to tell the story. You know what I mean? It's the same deal. So the persistent widow, we have one main subject, the widow, who, despite how things look in in this age, she keeps pleading and and praying for the day of God and the justice that will come with it, right? Keeps going to the judge to give me justice. So the assumed opposite in the parable is the Pharisees and Sadducees who had lost heart in the day of the Lord, right? Like this is where their tradition comes from is we're going to make the day of the Lord happen. We're going to bring the kingdom of God through the strength of the flesh and the strength of man, like the Maccabean revolt before this. Do you know this story? Risa, okay. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a group of Jews who are tired of waiting on God to complete the redemption and say, we're going to do it ourselves. And they gather an army out in the desert. They make deals in the other rooms and they They win for a little bit, and then it doesn't go well with them. And so Jesus is telling the parables aimed at those guys, saying, guys, the redemption won't come through the strength of man. It won't come through the strength of the flesh, but it will come for those who wait for it, like this persistent widow. So Jesus tells a parable, why? Luke 18, 1, to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. The righteousness of the widow and her faith in the day of the Lord is set opposite of the unrighteousness of the Pharisees and their lack of faith in the day of the Lord. So the parable ends with Jesus saying, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth with the assumption being not among these guys? Okay, their faith is in themselves. Their faith is for the Pharisees in their piety or the faith for the Sadducees is in their swords. And Jesus says the kingdom will not come like that. It will not come through the strength of man. It will come for those who wait. So this parable is doing the exact same thing. Convicting unrighteousness before the judgment. The woman's coin and, and lost sheep in Luke 15. Uh, Luke 15, 1. All the tax collectors and sinners, people that the Pharisees off screen have ignored and looked down their noses at, were approaching Jesus to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes see this and they start complaining and they say, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So what does Jesus do? He starts telling parables, right? 
aimed at them, pointing at those outside, pointing at those who hear but don't hear, those who see but don't see. But if they would, I would turn and heal them. He tells two parables, one about a lost sheep and one about a lost coin. But what are, what's the point of both of them over the joy over one sinner who repents? Right. This is where we get the imagery of like the party in the heavens, the angels shouting and rejoicing when one sinner turns to God, which is opposite of what the Pharisees were doing. Right. The the woman goes after the lost coin. The shepherd goes after the lost sheep. The Pharisees off screen are like, nah, you know what I mean? Like, it's the same thing. They're not mentioned in the parable, but off screen, they're the assumed opposite. And it does the same. You're going to be so tired of it. Convicting unrighteousness before the judgment. And then the last parable. Okay, the, 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 we have the rebellious son and the obedient son. One goes off into pig slop, one stays and works for the father. And we have the forgiving father, right? Everyone knows this parable, right? Father has two sons. <laughs> one says, give me my inheritance. I hope you die. So I need all your money now. Goes off, squanders it, ruins everything. Comes to himself. Says, you know what? My father's slaves eat better than I. I'm eating with pigs right now. I'm going to go to my father and maybe he'll receive me back as a slave. And then as he's coming back to the father, the father sees him a long way off, takes off running, says, kill the fatted calf, put a ring on his finger, cloak on his back, like the whole bit. We're going to have a big party because my son who was dead is now alive. My son who was lost has now come home. It's this big, joyous occasion. Like everyone knows this, right? And then older brother is out in the field who's worked so hard his whole life, been faithful to his father. He looks back, sees them having this big party for the turd son. Like, that's what he is. Like, just the worst, coming home and enjoying everything. And the older brother sees it and is just, he's just miffed. I mean, he is, he is ticked off at this. He says, I'm not going to go. And the father goes out and pleads with him and says, everything I have is yours. You know what I mean? Like, like you can come in too. And, and this parable does the same thing. It convicts unrighteousness before the judgment. And it's still aimed at the Pharisees who are off screen saying, look, if the younger son can turn from his unrighteous conduct and be welcomed into the father's house, you too can turn from your self-righteous conduct and be welcomed into the father's house. You know what I mean? I don't know if I pointed this out. Maybe I have. Maybe Stoney did. Like, the Pharisees are, are the butt of every joke all the way through Matthew. Like, every, like, it's just, it's just endless. It never stops. Jesus punching at these guys and punching at these guys and punching at these guys. You know why he's doing this? Because he loves the Pharisees. He loves them. He wants them to turn from their self-righteousness and turn in repentance and humility to God. You don't spend all of your, like, you know what? He's got like two and a half years of ministry. Who's he spend the most time with? The Pharisees. Because he loves, you know what I mean? Like, like he's hitting them, but it's because he loves them. All right? Like, this is the point. They're off screen. He's convicting them of unrighteousness, which brings us to Matthew 13. Okay? And so what do you think all the parables of Matthew 13 are about? Please tell me you know by now. Right? <laughs> Convicting unrighteousness before the judgment. All right. And this is highlighted in Matthew 13 because Matthew 13. If, oh, if you guys had your Bibles open, this would be Amanda's got it. It would be so much easier for for you to see here. Matthew 13 is bracketed by rejection and unbelief at Jesus. OK, so Matthew 12 
what's it say? They're plotting how to kill Jesus because of the Sabbath deal, right? They, they left and they plotted how to kill him. The end of Matthew 13 is Jesus uh, being rejected, not just by the Pharisees, but by his own family. So Matthew 13, 55, the end of it. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this, isn't his mother called Mary? And they were offended at him. And Jesus said to them, I don't like the scripture personally. <laughs> a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. So that's the end of Matthew 13. So if the start of Matthew 13 is about the rejection and unbelief at Jesus. And the end of Matthew 13 is about rejection and unbelief at Jesus. You scholars out there, what do you think the middle of Matthew 13 is about? Probably something different, right? No, <laughs> rejection. And it's a it's a big sandwich of rejection and unbelief that your Bible readers are to eat. Right. Like this. This is the deal. So it's it, like, so to convict them of their uh, rejection and unbelief on the front and the back end of this. Jesus tells parables to who to them, to those who are rejecting and not believing him. So the parable of the sower that we read to begin. So now he's going to interpret it. So listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom, when anyone hears the word from Genesis through the prophets about the day of the Lord, the age to come, the resurrection of the dead, the regathering of the 12 tribes, the nations going up to Jerusalem to worship the Messiah and global peace, right? Everyone who hears this word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches what was sown what was away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. And the one sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears that same word and receives it with joy. Which I just uh, want to say this, like, since I've started to think about and, and read and, and pray and try to give myself to the end of the age and the day of the Lord and all this stuff, um, I know it comes off as super negative. Right. Like there's this doomy, gloomy, everything's leading towards this great and terrible day of the Lord. It shouldn't be like that. You should receive the word of the kingdom and, 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 and with joy. Like, God, you're going to do all that stuff, make all things new, raise the dead, wipe every tear from our eye. And that fills me with joy. OK, so if it sounds doomy and gloomy, that's on me. All right. That's not on on the Bible. This one hears the word and receives it with joy. And they say, yes, I'm going to live for that age. I'm going to deny myself, take up my cross, walk in humility, do, do the Sermon on the Mount, do the Beatitudes, walk in meekness and, and peacemaking and purity and hungering and thirsting. I'm going to do all that stuff. I receive it with joy. But verse 21, he has no root and is short-lived. Therefore, when distress or persecution comes because of the word... Okay, so when the wickedness of this age, right, tares, leaven, mustard seeds, bad fish, when all these other things test him, immediately he falls away. He has no root in himself. Because what did Jesus promise in Matthew 10? It's been a while. But Matthew 10, he's sending out the disciples, those who have heard the word and received it with joy. What does he say to those who will inherit eternal life? He says, the ones who endure to the end will be saved. The one who loses his life in this age, will find it in the age to come. So this seed received the word with joy, but 
didn't have what it took to endure, didn't give themselves to perseverance and endurance. And then the third soil, which again, I think is aimed at the Pharisees who have been harassing Jesus for 12 chapters. Now the, now the one sown among the thorns. This is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this age, the cares of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Okay. So the Pharisees had heard the word of the kingdom. They knew the word of the kingdom and they preached the message of the kingdom. You know that? The end of Acts, when Paul's standing on trial, he's surrounded by Pharisees and says, I have the same hope as these guys. They, 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 they know the word of the kingdom. Their issue is they didn't live for it. It wasn't a matter of, of knowledge. It was a matter of truth in the inward parts. I'm going to live and give myself for these things. And, and this was Jesus' whole point in the Sermon on the Mount. Is you can't live for both ages. You can't have double vision. You need a single eye for your whole body to be full of light. It's what the other parables are saying in Matthew 13. You have to sell everything to buy the field and get the treasure. Matthew 13, 44. You have to sell everything to get the priceless pearl. Matthew 13, 45. But they're not doing it. The cares of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth is choking out the word. And, and this is what they're giving themselves to. This is the point of their life. Therefore... The thorns of this age choke them, and they don't live for the age to come. It's the same message that Jesus is hammering over and over and over and over. But verse 23, the one who hears the word and understands the word, this is the good ground who produces fruit and yields some 100, some 60, some 30 times what was sown. You know what I mean? Like it's just the same bit over and over and over. And I'm reminded of something. Matthew 12, 13 starts with rejection and unbelief at Jesus. Matthew 13 ends with rejection and unbelief at Jesus. And what happens at Matthew 14, Stoney? Off with his head. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just the same story the whole time. And, and this is how things will be until the end of the age. Okay? This is how things will work out. Jesus continues. The sower will sow. Some will hear and understand and produce fruit and not let the evil one snatch it away and not give in to persecution and not become distracted by the cares of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth. Like that seed is going to be planted and sown and I'm looking at it. You know what I mean? I'm looking at it. I'm sitting in here with good ground and good seed that's grown and produced fruit and you're having... Children and grandchildren, and they're growing and producing fruit like this is the joy and glory of the parable, right? This is this is good things, but but some won't. Some won't hear the word. Some will be those different seeds. And in doing the opposite, not hearing and understanding and growing with roots and doing the opposite and becoming wicked, the unrighteous will persecute the righteous until the end of the age. This is what the parable says. Good seeds and bad seeds are sown together, they grow together, they're gathered together, and at the end of the age, the wheat goes into the barn and the tares go into the fire. The harvest, Jesus says, is the end of the age. The harvesters are angels. I think he interpreted it for us, okay? <laughs> they're angels. Therefore, just as the weeds, those who didn't respond rightly to Jesus and the word of the kingdom, that grew up with the wheat that did... 
Just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels. They were gathered from His kingdom. All who cause sin and those guilty of lawlessness, they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom, Daniel 12, be raised from the dead. It's the same thing. He's convicting unrighteousness, right? All those who cause sin and are guilty of lawlessness before the judgment. Both grow together and the day of the Lord separates the righteous from the unrighteous. Okay? So your vision of how human history works out needs to be this. Wheat and tares growing together. Two houses being built, good fish and bad fish being gathered together into one net. And at the end of the age, the Son of Man sending out his angels and separating them. The same storm coming, one house stands, one house falls. The same net goes out, good fish are gathered in, bad fish are thrown out. Easy, right? Same thing. The day of the Lord does this. The next parable, the mustard seed and the leaven. So we get the the wheat and the tares parable. And then we get mustard seed and leaven, and then we get the wheat and tares um, interpretation. So what do you think the mustard seed and the leaven are about? The same thing. (laughs) Okay, the same thing. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. The kingdom of heaven, verse 33, is like leaven. Which is a bad thing everywhere else in scripture that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until it was all leaven. Okay, so if the wheat and the tares story and then the wheat and the tares interpretation has these two in the middle again, what do you think it's about? The same thing. It's communicating the exact same thing as the wheat and the tares. And we know this from the context because they're sandwiched in there. And then the good fish and bad fish right after one net gathers both. One farmer gathers both, and we know it's the same because Jesus directly quotes Daniel 4 and Ezekiel 31, okay? So in Daniel 4 and in Ezekiel 31, you've got a seed that's planted, and it grows up and spreads out its branches, and the birds of the sky make its shade in it, okay? So what happens to those seeds that become trees in the story? Daniel 4.14 is concerning Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom tree, so not a good one. Cut down that tree and chop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. So it's going to grow up. And then at the end of the age, what happens? Chop down. Ezekiel 31 is concerning Pharaoh's kingdom tree. Therefore, says the Lord, because this tree towered high and set its top among the clouds, and its heart was proud of its height, I will give it into the hand of a mighty one of the nations, and he shall surely deal with it as its wickedness deserves. I have cast it out. Wheat and tares grow up together, chopped down. Leaven grows up, chopped down. The mustard seed grows up, chops down. What do you think will happen then to the kingdom that the Pharisees and the Sadducees are trying to bring by the strength of their flesh? Like Daniel 4, like Ezekiel 31, that tree that grows up is chopped down at the end of the age. Okay, Just like the wheat and the tares, righteous and wicked, are allowed to grow until the end of the age. And at the end of the age, that wicked tree is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Okay, And this is the mystery of the kingdom. right? Jesus uses this language when he's talking about the parables. To you has been given the mystery, to you has been given... 
um, the secret, the, the, the reason that, and, and uh, sorry, my heart's starting to beat really fast. <sighs> the reason, the, the mystery is in regards to, okay, God, why? Why are you allowing wheat to grow with tares? Why are you allowing wickedness to grow and righteousness to grow? Why are you allowing the good fish to swim with the bad fish? Why don't you deal with it now? It's the mystery of iniquity. It's the mystery of evil, the problem of evil. And the reason is twofold. First, because God loves the tares. God loves them. Okay? Um, Man, I'm so distracted, guys. We should have had a party this morning. Roe v. Wade was overturned. Um, Good grief. I never thought I would see that. And just, side note, I have a little bit of time here. Side note, you older people who have been faithfully praying and walking and giving money to and serving Living Hope and ministries like it, thank you. This is this is your W, okay? We're just, like all of us younger people who are new to the party, you know, this isn't our win. This is your guys' win. It's the Lord's win. So thank you guys for being faithful. And everyone my age and younger, like, we got to pick that thing up and, and run with it. And Ellis is official July 19th and all kinds of people in the back. Sorry. Point... Praise God. My point is, why is wickedness allowed to grow? Because God loves the tares. Obviously, he loves the wheat, but he loves the tares too. And so I'm studying this this week, and I'm seeing that rose overturned. Like, what? And then I'm seeing the reaction to it, and it's the most vile things, the most vile statements, the most vile actions you've ever seen. And I'm just, God, why are you allowing this to go on? And the Lord was just really clear. I love that insane protester. I'm patient towards them, not wishing that they should perish. I'm long-suffering towards them. Therefore, he's patient and he's allowing them to grow. But second, the reason God allows wickedness and righteousness to grow together and be separated at the end of the age, he allows this to happen to test the righteous. Okay, wickedness in the present age is meant to test us and refine us so that at the end of the age, we come out as pure gold. This is the mystery of the kingdom. This is the mystery of iniquity. Righteousness and wickedness are going to grow together. And God's not pulling weeds until the end of the age. And then 13 ends with the good fish and the bad fish. Same song, different key. Good and bad swim together and are separated at the judgment. Okay. This is Every parable. Everyone does the same thing. Sierra, could you come help us, please? So the question, like we, we read them, hopefully we have ears to hear, eyes to see, and, and understand the response. The only appropriate response, the only appropriate response to the parables is repentance. That's, that's the only thing you can do as you read these things and meditate on them and chew on them and hear them proclaim. The only thing is repentance. The only appropriate response is to cry out to God for mercy and say, I know the state of my own heart. Right? I, I, I know what's going on in here that, that 
Nobody else knows but the Lord. And so I know, I'm reading the parables, I know I am bent towards wanting to build a house on sand instead of on rock. I know I want to live for the comforts of, of this age. I know I have a propensity to be the unforgiving servant rather than the one who forget like on and on. I know the state of my heart. The, the, the two sons, one gives lip service but doesn't obey. I'm reading that like, oh, you know what I mean? One who doesn't give lip service but, but obeys. I, I know I, I, the persistent widow Losing heart in the justice of God, wanting to make it happen by myself. Like, I know the state of my heart. And so Matthew gives us the parables here. Jesus gives us the parable here so that we will repent. So that we will hear and actually hear. So that we will see and actually see and turn and live and and be healed. And inherit eternal life on the last day. And grow up as wheat. And go out as good fish. And and, and not be tares. And not be... You know what I mean? Like this is the point. So I just want to pray to end here. Like there's not a a huge application to the parables. But to repent. So you're going to bow your heads or do whatever it is you do. God, we ask you. We come. And um, God, we we, we repent. And we pray what what Amanda read, what what David prayed, God, have mercy on us. Create in us a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within us. Continually, daily, until that day of the great harvest comes and the wheat are gathered into the barn. And the righteous shine like the sun in the kingdom of righteousness and the chaff is thrown into the fire. God, create in us a clean heart until that day. Help us respond to you correctly. God, help us respond with truth in the inward parts. God, help us be a a, a son who gives lip service and says yes and also obeys. God, help us be uh, the widow who, who goes and goes and goes and doesn't lose heart in the day of the Lord and God's day of, of justice. God, help us be those who build our house on the rock. Help us build our house uh, on, the, on the Beatitudes. God, on practicing mercy, on hungering and thirsting for righteousness, on being pure in heart, on choosing meekness, on rejoicing and being glad when we're persecuted for righteousness sake, because we know our reward in heaven is great. God, help us build on the law and the prophets that you've come to make known and carry out. God, help us live with a single eye fixed on the age to come. God. Not distracted, not deceived by the cares of this age or the deceitfulness of riches, but our eye is fixed and set on you. Help us build and lay a foundation with those things so that our house is on the rock. God, send your spirit to us, God, to cause us, to turn us. Away from caring about this age, loving comfort in this age, and living for the age to come. God, as wheat and tares grow together, as good fish and bad fish swim, God, I ask that uh, you would give us uh, resilience, you would give us perseverance, God, and you would give us the same patience that you have, God, toward the tares. That we would have the same mercy of God 
towards them that you do, that you have also shown towards us. God, and as they test us and persecute us, I ask you, God, and thank you for uh, this being your means of discipline, of training us who are sons. We are not illegitimate children. You discipline those who are yours. So help us understand the, the mystery. Why righteousness and wickedness grow together. Why you've allowed it. Why, why you've ordained that this is how this age will go. God, I ask that in all of these things you would set our hope and our gaze on the cross. Whereby we are forgiven of our sins. We are pardoned for the day of judgment. We're pronounced clean for the day of judgment. Thank you that you've come into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you are uh, an unbeliever this morning, okay, so stuff I'm putting down this morning you are are not picking up but you want to know what it means to repent what it means to trust in jesus what it means to follow jesus if you're sitting next to a member of our church they can tell you about that or you can talk to me or any of our elders um after service so our elders will come up now we're going to pray and uh you can pray in response to the message or um um, for anything else we'll do that now